Welcome to the Midwest and Plains Equity Assistance Center Equity Spotlight Podcast. This podcast series will feature the center's equity fellows, national scholars from North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri, Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio who are working to advance equitable practices within school systems. Each episode will focus on a topic relevant to ensuring equitable access and participation in quality education for historically marginalized students, specifically in the areas of race, sex, national origin, and religion, and at the intersection of socioeconomic status. This podcast builds from our last discussion on the implications of desegregation and school choice. A variety of questions shape how we understand funding, the nuances of school choice, and the various stakeholders involved. Today we have Dr. Tara Chambers and Dr. Jada Phelps-Moultrie, who both have expertise in areas of desegregation, school choice, and parent engagement across schools. So we're going to begin with kind of laying a context for why school choice and why parent choice. For our listeners who may be new to the conversation, can you all define what school choice is and maybe even what it is not? Well, let me, I, I would just say that school choice is kind of an umbrella term that we use um, to talk about a lot of different options that we have. But basically, anytime you have a choice to go to a school outside of what your neighborhood assigned school is, some kind of school choice involved. Now, depending on where you live and what statutes are um, allowable, you might have, you know, the option to go to a a public school outside of your neighborhood school. You might be able to go to a charter school. You might um, live in a place where there are vouchers that allow you to go to take, you know, take a voucher and go to a private school. All of these are, um, you know, under the same umbrella term, school choice, but but all involve some ability to choose the school that your child is going to go to um, with public dollars. And I know that um, Dr. Phelps has some additional kind of historical context. This is more what she studies. Yeah, so uh, when I was doing my research uh, among African-American families who were using school choice as a means to engage, I started trying to explore like where this idea of school choice comes from. Um, it's actually, you can say that it's drawn from um, Milton Friedman's um, economic principles, particularly around uh, free market um, privatization. So in that realm, you generally pick what you want to do. Mm-hmm. It's the choice of mm-hmm. it all. But uh, with that said, a lot of proponents have targeted education. It's like a $700 billion enterprise a year. And so that's where you would essentially, if you were trying to reduce government spending, Mm -hmm. then that's been a primary target for the last 20 years or so. Um, And our own Secretary of Education has been a big proponent of trying to take that money out and then put it back into private markets. And she's been known to say she trusts families. Um, But what we're seeing here, when I particularly look at African-American parents, is that they're getting the same choices that uh, we said were problematic. So that's high poverty, high minority schools that are typically uh, quote-unquote underperforming, Mm -hmm. um, or a, say, like when it comes to choosing private schools, Mm -hmm. a lot of barriers there where they're, you know, have to 
understand the enrollment process, understand how to get vouchers that Dr. Chambers was describing. Mm -hmm. um, and then, or just knowing how to just do that inter-district transfer, trying to flee from one underperforming school and trying to get your child into maybe a, a more affluent and uh, high performing school. All of those seems like that they're part of the choice, mm -hmm. but it's becoming more problematic on the part of the, just trying to access those things. Mm -hmm. But right. then now we're saying all this um, kind of, I would say, going from one school to another school, not really investing in your own neighborhood school, those and unintended consequences are mm -hmm. something that just keeps reoccurring. And we're saying from state to state to state that has these um, school choice policies in place. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, um, Dr. Phelps, Jada, and I are both parents. And, you know, I agree, like I trust parents to make good decisions. I trust myself to make a good decision in theory. But, you know, I have a PhD in educational policy, um, and I'm on our local school board, and I consider myself someone who, you know, knows a great deal about education, about schools, about what makes um, for a good educational environment. But getting access to information that will help me make an informed choice is really difficult. And so if parents, yes, trust parents. But at the same time, like what information do we really have that's giving meaningful information to parents and families about how to make a decision about their, like what's best for their kids. And like you're saying, Dr. Phelps, like a lot of times, like what, what kind of choices are really available to families? You know, like there, it's, it's a false idea that there are these choices. And I know, you know, even for my own child, like trying to figure out and navigate this landscape can be really challenging. Yeah, I, I remember um, when I first arrived in Michigan, I've only been a resident of Michigan for about a year, but I, one of the newspapers had picked up the Detroit News and there was um, a story featuring a mother who had to uh, use maybe about three to four hours of her day to commute one child to the next mm. school, to the mm. next school, and she had multiple children, and she was taking public transportation, all because of the uh, education desert that's mm around where she lives. Mm -hmm. Some folks would say, well, that's why she should have school choice. Well, I, I don't think that that's the intention of school choice yeah. is to um, not reinvest in a school that's probably down the street that maybe has suffered some type of closure or blightedness. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I don't know if the school choice is, uh, I think the jury's still out. Is it helpful to parents or is it just a hindrance mm -hmm. with not preparing the systems that's that were designed to um, educate our children. Mm -hmm. You know, I think another piece of this is that schools that are designated as good schools aren't necessarily good schools for students who come from minoritized backgrounds. That was um, one of the things that laid the foundation for some of our work last year with the GLUC products that we put together. And it came up to some degree too in our podcast um, on the implications of desegregation um, in school choice that we did a few weeks ago. Um, but, you know, like this, this idea that you choose a great school for your, you know, like is great on all of these metrics, but has a noticeable racial test score gap, or, you know, like I send, you know, this is something that I study in my professional life, you know, like how um, students of color and minoritized students can be, um, have a cost involved in, um, a racial cost involved in going, um, going to these schools and how they're treated and their access, access to resources and being over-identified in special education and not having their 
needs met in all of these different ways, not having access to teachers of color. These are things that don't t- show up on typical metrics. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, for particularly for minoritized students, like play a really important role in whether that's a good school for them, you know? And so this, it's just, gets really complicated um, mm-hmm. to me. And I think that it's, um, something we need to pay more attention to as well. Like, are we holding these schools that are great for, supposedly great um, in all of these ways, are they great for all kids? And Mm -hmm. how can we assist them in doing better um, for everyone? Right, and so you all touch on parent choice a bit and what you just shared, but could you speak more to what role parent choice plays in the conversations that surround school choice? And um, even what are they being presented with? How are parents making these decisions? Yeah, just to piggyback off Dr. Chambers' research with uh, her racial opportunity cost, I think that the, even though that they may not know the term, mm-hmm. they're weighing that cost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they may look at a school down the street, and let's just say uh, I had one particular parent who refused to send her child to the underperforming school. And so uh, she opted to send her child to a a private school that was a little further away from where they lived. Um, matter of fact, I think it was about 15 more minutes mm-hmm. than where they lived. Um, there are some costs to that. Now, the racial opportunity cost, I think, comes into play where what school she actually selected and the, the racial dynamics of that particular school. So you have a school that's largely uh, historically marginalized groups, black and brown students that she's avoiding because of its underperformance mm-hmm. um, status. But then she then places um, her child into a private school um, that has on, on their own metrics, pretty decent test scores. Um, not the same metrics as you would see on, um, and that's another thing that we mm-hmm. haven't talked about is, is the um, criteria that private schools have mm-hmm. to meet versus So, but then just back to the cost that she foresaw was the cost is racial identity. Mm -hmm. What what does um, he confront on a day to day basis? Being she would say the only black boy in his classroom, and so that's something that she had to figure out how to mitigate. Um, One of the things I noticed was the the frequency in in which she came to school uh, based on. Um, certain behaviors that her that they said her child was doing mm-hmm. and so she would come up there just to kind of make a stance that you know my my son is just like everybody else's child and you know there's no reason why you would demonize him for some of the things that he's done and so you had that deficit ideology kind of carry on regardless if he was at a black or brown school or at a mm-hmm. um, private mostly white school but it was applied to him and that was a cost mm-hmm. as well yeah so um, one thing that I remember this parent talked about was how her mother um, mitigated some of that for her. For her, um, She didn't say necessarily she went to a mostly white school, but it seemed that her mother knew that when she was going to school, there was some kind of um, culturally specific things that she would be lacking. Mm-hmm. And so her mother would put her into, she said, the um, Kwanzaa program. She was in everything that was anything black. She said her mother made sure she put her in. She applied the same thing to her own son. Mm. And so that was kind of the, the cost of not yeah. another cost yeah. is the Eurocentric curriculum mm-hmm. that she uh, said that was prevalent in this private school. 
And so you, you see kind of the, the flip-flop of that at a, 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 with families who choose to put their children in uh, underperforming school with a high black and brown population. Right. It tends to be focused more on tutoring. Mm -hmm. uh, what can we get our child into that's going to make up for um, some of the barriers that they're facing in these underperforming schools, which is a lot of funding on mm -hmm. uh, qualified teachers. So there's, those are, those are those particular things that I would consider a racial opportunity mm -hmm. cost. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just not necessarily putting it in that racial dynamics and have a metric mm -hmm. um, that Dr. Chambers was, was uh, um, detailing to us. Mm -hmm. That's problematic. So I think that although we have all these school choice options, running into the same thing over and over again, Eurocentered curriculum, um, push out factors, um, just the things that we see occurring in black and brown education among you know historically marginalized families mm -hmm. or groups rather. Yeah. yeah. No, it's such a good point. And I think all like embedded in what you're saying is that no matter what, um, particularly parents of color and parents who care about, you know, these kinds of issues in addition to test scores and whatever traditional traditional metrics you're looking at are going to have to pay a cost, right? Like there is no perfect utopian school for most of us to send our kids to. So we're going to be juggling, like, what constellation of factors do we feel is most important? And then how do we make up for the things um, that aren't right about the environment that our kids are in? And that's, you know, that's, that takes some various kinds of capital to help navigate. But I think underlying what you're saying too, um, Dr. Phelps, is that we have never done a good job of making sure that all schools have the resources that they need to be successful in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. Like why should we have to choose schools that don't have, um, that are working with um, uncredentialed teachers or who have a, a high rate of mobility among their teachers, not to mention their students, or you know, like you don't have working copiers next to in many cases literally like schools that have beautiful facilities and are able to pay mm -hmm. much more for their teachers and are able to provide resources and other kinds of um you know like important educational factors to bolster not just their achievement but the environment that their children and their teachers are living and working and learning in like these are important things but because we historically have never really figured out how to fund schools equitably, mm -hmm. we're left with the aftermath of those pieces and having to compensate for things that, you know, really our government should have figured out long ago. So then how are parents navigating this system? What is the, what is the research showing? And then like we have emerging trends, um, but what are they exactly? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think, First, I wanted to, when you ask that question, I said to myself, which parent mm -hmm. um, navigating this? What we That's do good. know is that white and wealthier parents tend to navigate this process um, in a much different way yeah. than black and brown and historically marginalized families do. Right. So um, one thing that I think that's important to point out is that what we're noticing is that the voucher system um, typically is used by white and affluent parents. And that's something that has already, that historically mm -hmm. had happened right after the segregation. I think Dr. Chambers could probably speak more to that because it's kind of her area. But then in terms of black and brown families, uh, 
I think it's a markedly different thing that's happening there. So one example is when there were a large amount of schools closing in Detroit. What I remember from several stories was that they sent them this newsletter to parents mm -hmm. and gave them a list of schools that they can call and go to. And then from there, the parents had complained that when they would call these schools, they said they're not going to accept Detroit public school students. Mm -hmm. um, and the same thing you see uh, around um, charter schools and special education students. We, are, we suspect that there are some things that are happening there uh, where maybe they're not able to serve special education students and then they're, they're turned down. So uh, those parents of special education students, I think, are also facing something different as well. So, I mean, but I, I would suspect, um, and I'm not necessarily the, the school choice guru, but I'm noticing that more students of historically marginalized groups are being marginalized mm -hmm. in some point of the process mm -hmm. of school choice, whether mm -hmm. it be enrollment or when they actually get there and choose this school, there's right. something more happening. Um, and I'm, I don't know the research around white parents and how they're experiencing school choice, like from their perspective, but I, I wonder what they would say. Mm -hmm. How would they be experiencing school choice right now? Yeah. Dr. Chambers, can you add to that, especially with this um, element of what's happening post-desegregation? Yeah, I mean, I think um, for me, everything that happens in schools today are a consequence of things that we have done in the past or not done in the past. Mm -hmm. And so you know, for me, I very much see the context of choice and particularly the implications for families of color yeah. as a legacy of um, how we approach desegregation. Um, like not doing a good job of um, creating a clear policy for how things would unfold. Like, you know, many black teachers lost their jobs in the aftermath of desegregation many black schools were closed in the aftermath of desegregation or continued operating but never and still have not to this day mm -hmm. gotten the resources that were needed to bring those um, under-resourced schools up to par. So we have been limping along with a system that is really broken mm -hmm. um, you know, for all of these 50, 60, 65 years right. post-Brown, um, post you know, and, I, and I, we're seeing the consequences of that in schools today. Um, for how how our kids are um, experiencing their educational environment. So when I hear questions like, is school cho choice good or bad? <laughs> are charter schools good or bad? Was desegregation good or bad? It's these are false like questions, right? Like they it's it is much more complicated than just to say yes or no to these when we're dealing with a system that has never really um, come around from these historic challenges or, um, you know, like we had, we had the opportunity to do something really meaningful and we dropped the ball. And now we're dealing with the aftermath of all of that um, lack of action mm -hmm. in my, you know, like it's the kind of spin that I put on the conversation we're having today. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as we close, I'd like to know what you all want parents to know about school choice in their role in school choice if you had to summarize it because you're both parents as well what do you want parents to know 
Yeah, it's a, it's a different <laughs> question. Like, yeah. um, you know, Dr. Phelps and I are both looking at each other like, I want parents, I want parents to have choice. I do trust parents. Like that part is right. What we need to do is live up, well, my hope would be, is that we live up to the expectations that parents have, all parents have, for their kids to want to um, have the best educational environment possible for them. And for those decisions to be made based on um, a host of factors that aren't just about test scores, right? Like I wanna know lots of things about the schools that my kids can go to, but I also wanna make sure that all schools have what they need in order to be successful, you know, mm -hmm. and we, we are not doing well and it feels like a shell game, right? Like, oh, we're gonna have choice, but really it's just, you know, like I'm choosing, like Dr. Phelps said earlier, like my choice is, I'm choosing the best of a, a host of bad options is what a lot of families of color are um, are facing. And that mm -hmm. that is where I feel a deep sense of like regret and remorse and let down. Like we, these parents, and I'm not going to go on my whole historical diatribe about how if any group in our nation has ever exemplified a love and passion for education, it would be the Black community historically overcoming such tremendous odds because of their belief in education. And so that legacy that they have given us to this day does not meet the expectations of what we are providing for them in terms of choice. And that to me is my biggest disappointment. So the, the question was, uh, what do uh, we think parents need to know yeah. about school choice? Mm -hmm. uh, that's such a complex question um, because when I got the opportunity to get to know um, the 16 sets of families from, from my study, they had their reasons for choosing what they chose. And it was really grounded in their child. Sometimes they would choose different options for different children in their household. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they felt like one child needed to be at a private school versus another child mm -hmm. needing to be a public school. And I, I do trust parents. But I also think that there needs to be some conversation about the unintended consequence of that all. If, yeah. we're, if, we, if most of our nation's children are, at, are in public schools, and we continue to take our capital and place it into someplace different, whether it be a, a different school district or private school, then something's gonna happen to that local public school mm -hmm. um, that we choose not to go to. Yeah. And so I think that that conversation, I, I wish there was some kind of information session, like when I choose this particular school, what could it, inevitably happen yeah uh, what's going to happen at the end of the day uh, when my money goes here then what does that translate into mm -hmm. to these children that you know my other ch my children are growing up around so i think i would want parents to at least look into the consequences of choosing something other than their neighborhood school mm -hmm. um and maybe they don't all have to value the neighborhood school but i do think that there's i don't think we have had that conversation um, I don't think it's been important because we have decided that families know best. Mm -hmm. But I think families need to know all the information before they make that choice. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think the other thing I would, you know, want parents to possibly think about is how can they make 
a difference for the next children that'll come through there mm -hmm. that look like their children. Yes. So if I do decide to send my child to a private school, which is fine. Yeah. Um, there are reasons why I would choose a private school for my own children, uh, depending on what, you know, what, what their focus is sure. and whatnot. But then am I making it better for, you know, the next group of black and brown children that, that want to choose that whose parents have chosen the school for them too. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that's a lot to throw on historically marginalized parents. I don't think it's just their job. It's yeah. definitely not. It, yeah. it's, it, it's a system level issue that I do think that they have the power to influence. Um, and I don't think school leaders tap into that, that knowledge and that authentic voice enough. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's, it's crazy that parents decide that they're going to choose a particular school knowing that their child will be inundated with a Eurocentric curriculum, uh, possibly face uh, individual racism mm -hmm. um, and other forms of oppression. And I think it's, it's, it's absurd that they're choosing that. I have chosen it myself for my mm -hmm. own children. Mm -hmm. So there has to be another, parents aren't the only people that need to know. Mm -hmm. It's the school leaders and the educators that also need to know. Yeah. Before they decide to come here, I think that they have gone through this process how many black and brown teachers are there? Yep. Uh, what does the school leadership look like? What's the policy look like that I have to navigate in some way? Mm -hmm. uh, how long is it going to take me to get there? What's the resources there? Are they college doing college prep? Because on the back end of that, I think parents are aware of the things that they can and cannot do. And then using their communities and families to navigate all of that. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of stress on a parent yeah. when they should have that. We should have those expectations from the school in the mm -hmm. first place. So I think the conversation does have to stay with parents. If, what are the unintended consequences of your choice? What are things you can do to make those school districts better? But I definitely think we have to keep the conversation in the schools as well mm -hmm. and talk about, well, because they do have this choice, what are you offering that speaks to the things that, we're, that, that Dr. Chambers has been you know, talking about going back to? that we never acted upon. Yeah. Like that's your time yeah. to act on it as a school leader. Yeah. Take those parents in the building who we know probably have some sense of understanding of what you don't have in the school and what you do have, and then use their voice to kind of improve the system and disrupt those systems that continuously oppress them and have to choose elsewhere to go. Right. I think one important thing to just note was that Although it's a small study, 16 sets of parents, 44 children all together, there was only one set that, excuse me, one set that stayed in their district the entire K through 12 experience. Mm -hmm. Everyone else at least went to two different schools at a certain point. And it wasn't because they felt like their children were being treated well. It was because of the adversity their children were experiencing. Yeah. And I think that speaks volumes to, mm -hmm. to the way we've marketed school choice. Um, so, you know, in that respect, I think we've got to do a better job. If choice is a, if, if this is a promise, then, you know, I want to know, you know, where do we go from here? If this is the things that they face on a day-to-day -day mm -hmm. basis, on a year-to-year -year basis, when they have to choose um, the school mm -hmm. of choice that they want to send their children to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this whole conversation to me just illuminates how much work we still need to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have these conversations like we've been talking about all through this conversation and actually from previous conversations about 
what are the things that we haven't been thinking about? What are these, you know, we've been using the term unintended consequences, right. but it just lets us know that there are a lot of things that we um, still need to figure out about all of these issues. And so if parents are confused <laughs> about navigating this kind of educational choice milieu, it's for good reason because, yeah. um, you know, we're several conversations and webinars in, Mm -hmm. as you know supposed experts on these on these things and still trying to help people sort through all of these different implications you know of a system that is you know struggling i would say to keep up with all of the demands and so you know we're going to continue to have these conversations we're going to continue to sort it out but um this whole conversation just highlights another pathway of this parent choice um landscape that mm -hmm. is part of this legacy of desegregation that we've been focusing on. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for this conversation. It was very informative, very enriching, and I learned a lot, and I hope our listeners have too. Thank uh, you. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks, thank Dr. You. Phelps. Thanks, thank everybody. You. Thank you. <laughs>